This is a Federal News Network podcast. The omnibus budget package is a lot more than a bill to fund the government operations. Congress stuffed its 5,000 pages with tax and business provisions. Some have real impact for what federal contractors have discovered so far for what's in there and what's not in there, we turn to the Executive Vice President for Policy at the Professional Services Council, Stephanie Castro. Stephanie, good to have you on. Thanks so much for having me. And you and the council and your member companies have several themes that matter to contractors that have got nothing to do with budgeting for the government. What what do you see in there? Tom, thanks so much for, for mentioning the Consolidated Appropriations Act, which is, I'm just going to refer to it as the omnibus, which is finally we got the full year appropriation for fiscal year 2023, which, you know, started several months ago. We take that in concert with the fiscal year National Defense Authorization Act, which was also signed into law last week. And between the two of those, we identified several themes of importance to federal contractors. Uh, I'll just go through a few of them with you here. The first one is we do have increased transparency into DOD requirements. We've been pushing for a few years now, along with several companies, that operations and maintenance funding um, is one-year funding, but we don't get a lot of information about um, milestones and funding needed in the out years or the future years. And so the NDAA has language that increases transparency. Why is this important? That allows contractors to plan, invest, and prepare for future operations and maintenance funding. Those are the accounts that, because they're one-year accounts and the money will expire, often get rated in in May to August of every every year. And so this will hopefully help prevent some of that rating of those O&M funds, but also help contractors plan and make investments. The second theme was mitigating risks to supply chains. There's some interesting language in there about semiconductor products and services. We'll have to see what semiconductor services look like, but this is really about chips and whatnot from China in everything from cell phones to, you know, major weapon systems. And so we're going to be watching that closely. And then finally, the third one I wanted to highlight is the NDAA helps contractors try to recover costs that came from outside of their control, whether it was related to COVID or inflation. There's a mechanism now by which um, DOD has the authority to help contractors recover those costs that were incurred just due to no fault of their own. So those were sort of the three that we identified. And there's a couple of things you wish had been in there for <laughs> business tax relief to do with expensing of research and experimentation costs and how you can write those off. This situation was created in the Tax Cut and Jobs Act from a few years ago where you used to be able to expense all of your um research and experimentation funding in the year it was incurred. So you you got a tax credit for any of the R&E that you were doing. That went away with the law that was passed a few years ago. And ever since, business has been trying to change the situation where they don't have to amortize those costs. It's a huge credit, no pun intended, for them to be able to expense in the year those costs were incurred. And right now, companies are looking at hundreds of millions of dollars in tax bills because they didn't get that credit. My guess, and from what I've heard from my friends on the Hill, is that they were fairly close to reaching agreement on this, but they just couldn't get it across the finish line. This is going to be an area we're watching closely come January and February, because I don't think the negotiations are done yet. And when the Congress doesn't do things, agencies do things on their own, you are worried about a rulemaking proposal from the Defense Department related to undefinitized contract actions. There's probably a UCA acronym for that. What are they and what's going on here? I love acronyms you can pronounce. These are UCAs or UCAs. So undefinitized contract actions are 
any actions in which the the contract wasn't already pre-agreed. It wasn't a spec or a specification. It wasn't the prices were not agreed upon beginning the performance on the contract. So they're undefinitized. They're not defined, right? What DOD has proposed is amendments to help refine management of UCAS. This is based on a DOD Inspector General report that came out a little while ago. The proposed rule, the comments are due December 27th. So uh, PSE, we've already lodged in our comments and we are opposing this rule because it tries to incentivize contractors to definitize contracts through those negotiations quickly and agree upon a definitization schedule. The problem that we're facing is that a lot of the delays in definitizing contract actions or coming up with a schedule are not the fault of the contractors. And I go back to a comment I made earlier, which is, you know, if, if something is outside of the contractor's control, shouldn't DOD be helpful? Um, and in some cases, you know, there are staffing issues in contracting offices, et cetera, that cause delays. And the penalty is up to 5% of, of um, the payment schedule going forward. And this is something that I think is worth talking to DOD about, figuring out what is the problem they're trying to solve and have some contractor input. So we are opposing that rule. We're speaking with Stephanie Castro. She is Executive Vice President for Policy at the Professional Services Council. It sounds like something, for example, like a change order, which could delay a contract. And this is, of course, rampant yep. in history making things late, that's the type of thing you're talking about. That's the kind of thing. And it's also um, the the contractors have to submit what's called a qualifying proposal. Um, But sometimes the contracting officer wants cost and pricing data from subcontractors who are loath sometimes to share that information with the prime contractor. So you're penalizing the prime contractor for something out of their control, getting that information from sub-tier contractors. And so we're aware that there are problems, there are delays in defining, uh, definitizing contract actions, but we think we need more engagement with the department before we regulate or have a rulemaking in this area. So comments are closed on that one. And if everyone is negative, maybe they'll take it into account or something. <laughs> Do they have a schedule for when they would like to have this rule in place? Well, it was a proposed rule and it's got to go final. So they were looking for comments on how to improve it. And, and we suggested they withdraw this rule, uh, proposed rule and come back to the to the negotiation table, or at least the, the discussion table, and talk to contractors about what the real problem is here. And there is still time to comment on the draft RFP for the Alliant 3 government-wide acquisition contract proposed by the GSA, which they've had some trouble with, and this is like the new draft RFP for the new version of Alliant 3. And those you have till January 6th to comment. Yeah, so I would highlight to all of your listeners that unlike a lot of comment periods, this one ends at noon on January 6th, noon Eastern time. So not close of business, not end of day, etc. This Alliant 3 draft RFP came out and we heard from a lot of our PSE member companies on what GSA is trying to do with teaming arrangements under this draft RFP. And that is to say, if you want to have a joint venture bid on this opportunity, you have to be a pre-existing joint venture with past performance affiliated with that joint venture. This really runs in the face of what we're trying to do in other vehicles as a nation in terms of getting mentor-proteges, new teaming arrangements put together. This really does create a barrier to entry to those mid-sized companies who want to find teaming partners, but they don't already have a pre-existing relationship. Right. So therefore, your comment is... Then. is to allow joint ventures that are not pre-existing. There are also other things in this draft RFP about evaluation criteria, and, and they doubly award points for multiple projects over $100 million. Again, penalizing, it seems to me, small business companies are creating a barrier to entry because not a lot of them will have contracts of that size to have past performance on. So 
we are encouraging increased competition, lowering barriers to entry, and allowing companies to create creative teams that can get the work done but aren't pre-existing. And before we let you go, I want to come back to the omnibus appropriations bill and all of the provisions that are not appropriations in there. And almost every industry and every area of American life is somehow affected within these sections. And there's thousands of sections and thousands of pages. How did the PSC, for example, keep up with what was in there? Or did some of them take you by surprise as well? Because certainly there's not a single member of Congress that had any idea of the extent of what's in there. You know, it's a really lengthy law. I can't say bill anymore. It's a really lengthy law. And um, I I come from a, a House Armed Services Committee background. So I'm an authorizer at heart, right? And so authorizing on appropriations bills is something that I take very, very seriously in terms of trying to unpack what it is they're trying to do and why they couldn't get it in to an authorization bill. There's a lot in this, in the Consolidated Appropriations Act. We're still going through it. We have member companies raising certain issues to us that we might not otherwise have have found quickly. There is a lot that we're going to have to unpack. The treatment of inflation, there is uh, within the set of bills, NDAA and the omnibus, a repeal of the vaccine mandate for, for military personnel. There's no similar action taken regarding contractors or other communities who are who are mandated now under legal injunction, but still unpacking to see what exactly got into this bill. I'm always astounded at how long these bills are, and, and I do question whether or not the legislators have poured over every provision the way they should have. So we'll see uh, as this shakes out over the coming weeks. Stephanie Castro is Executive Vice President for Policy at the Professional Services Council. As always, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks, Tom, for having me, and Happy New Year. And you, too. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Sean Ferguson, Senior Vice President of Government Relations and Chief of Staff to the Office of the Chairman at the Special Olympics, joins host Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to discuss the importance of leadership, inclusion, and community building. To learn more about how you can get involved with the Special Olympics in your community, Visit specialolympics.org slash get dash involved. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned working with that community? Oh, uh, yeah, almost, uh, Shane, it's almost immeasurable. The things I've learned since I've been with Special Olympics. I um, One of the things that drew me to Special Olympics uh, when I made the move over from, from the NFL uh, was that my mother, my grandmother, my aunt all took care of of people with intellectual disabilities and 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 physical disabilities as well. So all of my life, I was uh, interacting and around um, usually usually young people, but also adults with disabilities. And so I I knew that I knew that work a bit. You know, they ba- they basically were in d- direct care, and and I will say, you know, and I obviously will say about my my family, my mother, my aunt, my grandmother, they're saints. Uh, but uh, the the men and women that do take care of people with uh, pr- profound disabilities are are really, um, you know, we we can't do enough to salute them. Um, they're they're really heroes, and um, so I was I was drawn when I I and I just saw that you know Special Olympics was looking for someone, and I thought well you know take a look at it and see, see you know throw uh, send in my information, and lo and behold I I, I get hired, and um, I learn 
uh, every day, almost something from, especially from our athletes. Uh, we're blessed to have a number of athletes that work here in our office in Washington, D.C. And, you know, uh, Terrell, who who works in, in our mailroom, who comes by with packages and deliveries, uh, if you're having a day that's, you know, getting away from you and you, you <laughs> coffee hasn't kicked in, but Terrell comes by, always happy, always enthused, uh, has a has a good story. Like it can just turn a day around for you. And 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 you think of I I you know so often when he'll walk away, I'll be like you know whatever was bothering me or whatever is you know stressing me out. And come on, you know, like look at look at Terrell, like he he, he faces everything with optimism and. And, and I've seen that also in our going to competitions in throughout the United States and globally, you see people who have had everything stacked against them. You know, their parents, when they were born, were often told this is a tragedy and you should, you should, you know, send your, this child away. Don't, don't, you know, and kind of forget about them, Get, turn them over to the state or or wherever. And, and, you know, that, you know, just kind of wash, wash your hands of it. Um, and, and, and in, in these cases, the parents didn't do that, thankfully. Um, and, but they've still faced enormous challenges, you know, and, but you see them out competing on the basketball courts or the football fields or swimming and, uh, and, and, you know, besting their times from, from their last competition. And they're so committed and just keep fighting through all the obstacles that they've had in front of them that are not just on the sports field, but also in growing up and finding education and finding groups to be part of and trying to find jobs. And, and, and I've seen so much perseverance and grit uh, from the athletes of special Olympics that uh, I, I, Tim Triver, my boss, the chairman uh, says all the time, and I couldn't agree with him more. uh, We get more than we give. Uh, working with Special Olympics, it, you know, we, and thank you for your very kind words about the work I do and we do, but but we're the lucky ones. We, those of us that work here are the lucky ones because I I said to someone the other day, you know, the things that I've been able to see and experience with athletes, you just don't get to do that anywhere. That that you know, it's a and it's so unique and it's so uh, joyful and and uh, I mean, we work hard and you know, we we're up against you know the things that nonprofits are up against and you know the you know the issues of the day. But uh, man, you see, it, it, and 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 the inclusion and the at Special Olympics, no one's excluded. You know, no, right. no one's excluded. Yeah. Everyone is equal at Special Olympics. It, and, you know, in a country that's quite divided on so many lines, politically and uh, socially, uh, economically, race and uh, sexual orientation and whatnot. But you go to Special Olympics and everyone's involved. Everyone's welcome. Everyone's equal. And I've learned that it's a model for our country and for our world. Uh, I, I just think that that if if people were involved in Special Olympics in experience the power of Special Olympics for themselves, I, I, I can't imagine that one help our country and help our world um, to experience that true inclusion and acceptance of difference. How, how do we get, how can listeners get involved in Special Olympics? Ways to get involved? Uh, tons of ways. So uh, volunteers, obviously, coaches, officials, um, and, and the thing that, that, that uh, Tim Shriver has done uh, and really pushed in the years that he's been chairman is the unified sports model that, that I'd mentioned earlier, um, where people and, and it doesn't have to be. Uh, it's not just school age. It's it's, uh, you know, we say nine to ninety nine or uh, year old uh, folks. 
that play on teams, uh, bowl together, golf together, play soccer, basketball together, uh, people with and without intellectual disabilities competing on teams together. Um, and that is, I, I think, when you when you go back to the founding of, of our organization, what Mrs. Tri- Mrs. Shriver was trying to do uh, was to to create inclusion opportunities for people with intellectual disabilities. And you see it at these unified sports events where people with and without are playing together. We still have traditional uh, teams where it's all people with intellectual disabilities competing with other uh, teams, all intellectual disabilities. But this model of inclusive sports and inclusive leadership programs and whatnot, I think is truly revolutionizing and changing the way people see uh, others with intellectual disabilities. That's just like, I mean, that's what we, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring people together and bridge difference and, and, and celebrate differences and that our athletes, man, are some of the grittiest people that you will meet. And, and, uh, and there's a lot to learn from our athletes and playing sports with them and interacting is, is how you'll learn it. Check us out, uh, you know, uh, specialolympics.org on, on our website. Uh, that will link you to your local program. You can follow through the, the clicks of how to get involved and where, what's closest to you. You'll enjoy it. I can promise you that. Well, thank you very much, Sean. And, and to everybody listening, I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, and we'll, uh, Talk to you next time on the Lessons in Leadership podcast. How long does it take to tackle a home project? With Angie, you could cross it off your list before this ad is over. Just tell us what you need, indoor or outdoor, repair or redesign, and we handle the rest, sending a top pro to get it done. You don't have to lift a finger, except to tap the screen or click the mouse. Plus, Angie is free to use. So bring us your next home project and we'll bring it home. Download the app or go to Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com to get started.